Thursday. Welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products including Kratom, CBD, or Delta 8. If you're looking for something to help with pain, anxiety, or just an opioid alternative, Artisan Botanicals has what you're looking for and we're saving you 15% when you order online. abotanicalcompany.com, discount code Show. For 15% off your online order, Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. My weekly Thursday guest is Will Brewer. Will Brewer, what is happening? Man, a, a lot, man. Just um, trying to get through the week, man. We're almost, we're almost at the end of it, man. We are almost at the end of a uh, fightless week. Yeah, can, can you tell by like just the... The excitement in my, my voice, man. Like, there's yeah. no fights to look forward to. It's just ah. Yeah, you're missing. You're missing something. There's uh, there's a little less energy from you today. You don't yeah, have something little... to look forward to this weekend. Yeah, man. Like normally, uh, when Thursday comes, just like oh, there's a fight, big fight on Saturday, and now it's just like ah. But oh well, we're pushing through. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Hey, we're only a week and a half away from uh, Rosenstrike Sakai. Well, um, um, can you tell by my excitement yeah. how excited I am yeah. about that? <laughs> yeah. Um, if you're if if you're ever going to have that main event, it needs to follow a week off when everybody's just glad you're back, right? Yeah, just yeah, just glad you're back. Uh, Rose and Strike Sakai, uh, two guys who are welcome off losses in main events. So I guess you know, put them back in the main event and you know, see who can get back on track. There you go. There you go. Well, look, we got to talk about last Saturday night because what a fight card it was on Saturday night. And I know a lot of people were really excited about Rob Font and Cody Garbrandt. Um, There are, I didn't realize, I guess, how many people I personally know that are massive Cody Garbrandt fans. Like throughout all of last week, I had so many people that, you know, are kind of like casual UFC fans, semi-UFC fans, but... Uh, the fact that Cody Garbrandt was fighting last week, like a, a lot of my buddies that, uh, you know, I occasionally talk UFC with were like, hey, Cody Garbrandt's fighting this week, getting really excited about the fight card. I was like, I had no idea. I mean, you know, obviously Cody's a former champion. Um, he's extremely well-liked. Like, I, I don't think there are a lot of people that just dislike Cody Garbrandt. Uh, and he's been around for, it feels like forever. You know, we talked about this last week. He's only 29 years old. So uh, he's not, you know, in, in terms of, those prime fighting years, like potentially those are still in front of him. But uh, man, that thing had a lot of hype last Saturday night and uh, it, it became very quickly the Rob Font show. Yeah, man, in terms of Cody, man, uh, I remember in his rise, like, you know, Connor was taking that, um, he went into boxing, wanted to fight, fight Floyd Mayweather, chasing a $100 million payday. So, you know, they were kind of looking for that next superstar. Ronda Rousey had a... Uh, went off into the sunset after losing her fights and stuff. So they're kind of looking for that next, that next person. And it just seemed like uh, Cody was the one that they were given uh, that spotlight to, you know, that he won the title on a, on a fight card that Ronda Rousey was uh, uh, in the main event on. So um, a lot of the casual fans, you know, they know of Cody Garbrandt, they love his fighting style. They know he's always going to bring it, that he's always in a war. Um, So it, it it doesn't uh, necessarily surprise me that uh, a lot of the casuals, uh, still, still know and lo- still love Cody Garbrandt, despite him being on, you know, three fight skid. And then he came back with that big knockout. So, you know, of course, right. that's going to bring bring back some fans as well. So, um, you know, 
and it's hard not to not to love Cody Garbrandt. You know, he's always a, such a well-spoken guy, um, and he always brings it on fight day. But like you said, it quickly turned into the Rob Font show as as the fight went on. It was a uh, it was an amazing fight from start to finish. Let me get your thoughts on the fight that Cody fought first, because the reason I picked Rob Font was because I thought we were going to see this become just a wild brawl, big exchanges, and what we've seen from Cody Garbrandt in the past is, uh, you know, maybe being susceptible to to finding himself in those situations, getting caught with big shots. I thought that he was at a disadvantage against Rob Font. From that perspective, I thought the the length of Rob Font would be a problem in this fight, uh, and that's that's why I went with Font. And, and Font wins, but Cody Cody didn't really fight that kind of fight. He didn't fight the kind of fight that I thought he was going to. You know, I think um, just you know moving to uh, to the team with Mark Henry as the head coach, he he wants to fight more calculated. He was trying to fight smart. You know, he wasn't trying to go and be in a brawl uh, like that he's always in because you know. It's always, you know, my chin or your chin. Who's going to go down first, you know? So now, you know, Cody, um, he's starting to, he was starting to use his movement. Uh, he was trying to use his wrestling. He's trying to be more smart with his, with his fighting style. But just the length of Rob Font, man, like that was a problem from the beginning of the fight. Like as soon as I saw that Rob Font had such a significant reach advantage, I think it was either, it was either six inches or six, eight inches. I, yeah. I forget. Yes, yeah, six inches. And just uh, right away, you could just see like Cody had a hard time like trying to figure out how he was going to get inside that reach, and you know, Rob Font, man, uh, just the way that he was taking angles and uh, the way that he wasn't rushing, just it really made it tough for Cody Garbrandt to know like when to attack. So um, he fought. I mean, he, he he fought a smart fight, definitely way more calculated. He used his wrestling, something that we haven't seen him use in a while. But uh, just that that puzzle of Rob Font, just the length and everything, man, right. it was it was just tough for him to figure out. And the and the boxing, just Rob Font's boxing was just so crisp that yeah. Cody couldn't really uh, figure it out. That jab, I mean, it did damage for the entire fight. And uh, look, I, I walked away from that fight really impressed with two things. Number one, just really impressed with Rob Font in general. Like this guy. Um, you know, we, we talked about it when he fought Marlon Marais, uh, in his, in his last fight, how good he looked. And he certainly capitalized on that with the five rounds against Cody Garbrandt. I mean, I, I couldn't say enough good things about Rob Vaughn, but I'll tell you the other thing that was impressive, Cody Garbrandt's chin, right? That was, that's something that's been talked about for a couple years. Um, you know, I, I think it was something that was very much talked about going into his last fight, but it never really got tested. He got the knockout, but I think that was still one of those like questions that people were still asking themselves. Could he hold up if he's taking big shots? And uh, look, he, he certainly proved that he could because Rob Font, it felt like was landing everything he was throwing for a period of time in that fight. And there were a few times that I thought Cody was in massive trouble in that fight. And he never went away. I mean, he was able to withstand multiple Rob Font flurries. Yeah, he uh, his chin, man. I was very impressed by his chin. You know, in in past fights, uh, you know the the fights with uh, TJ and Pedro. You know, he would have went down with some of those shots that Rob Font landed. You know, and Rob Font he dropped Marlon Moraes uh, with the jab, using his jab. That's how he beat Marlon Moraes. So, you know, Cody was getting hit with it a lot, especially in the early rounds, and he was still, you know, you could tell that it was hurting him. 
but he was still there. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's something that, you know, before that would have opened up, you know, Cody just going out there and just, do, you know, winging it and just throwing these wild punches and, and then getting caught anyway. Um, I think that just goes to show, like, he's been working uh, extensively on his uh, on his nutrition. Like, his body looked good. Um, and, you know, just his fighting style in general, man. He went out there and fought smart. I think he saw all the punches coming, just he couldn't uh, do anything to stop it, right? Like, right. Uh, Rob Font, just his link, man, just, you know, it was such a problem for him. It's a little um, bit deceptive, right? And I think they were even saying that in the broadcast, like, you think you're out of distance, and the next thing you know, that right. jab is touching you, and, and Cody never really seemed to get a feel for, you know, the distance management, because every time it kind of seemed like he was comfortable with the space, Rob Font's jab is, is getting right in there. Yeah, and and like I said, Rafan did a great job of uh, of taking these angles. Like um, whenever he would decide to go in and engage, uh, just the angles that he took, it was it was really different. You know, just the way he was moving, just real, um, real calculated and everything. Uh, Cody just didn't have an answer for it, uh, so he tried to revert to the wrestling. And uh, uh, you know, Cody's a very accomplished wrestler, but you know he, I don't think yeah. he really could do much damage to Rafa on the ground. Couldn't really keep him down for much for, for that long. So, you know, Rafa uh, he fought a smart fight, but you know Cody definitely showed that he's growing uh, as a fighter. You know, his chin uh, using different aspects of, of MMA, uh, he's definitely growing. Yeah, no doubt. I I would say that uh, number one in the first round. I really thought Rob, like I was concerned because those two takedowns seemed relatively easy. And I thought if Cody's able to just take him down over and over and over for five rounds, like obviously Rob's just never going to be able to to use the advantage that I felt like he had. Um, but, you know, like you mentioned, nothing came of the two takedowns. And from that point on, like I think he stuffed maybe one or two more and then like Cody didn't even try anymore. Um, but uh, you know, it was one of those things we see this all the time when a striker gets taken down a couple times, it's like, all of a sudden you're like, okay, obviously this guy's going to do nothing but takedowns the rest of the way. And this guy that's been taken down a couple times is now starting to feel that doubt as far as like being able to stay on your feet. And it just kind of becomes a snowball type situation. Credit to Rob Font for, you know, keeping his wits about him and maybe not losing confidence from that standpoint and, uh, still fighting off the takedowns beyond that. But then like, I, I felt like it got to a point where, like we talked about with Cody fighting a more strategic fight, I felt like it got to a point where he needed to throw that out the window and just go war mode, right? Like, at some point, his corner, you know, needed to say, and I I didn't have the volume up, I, I don't know uh, what they were saying in between rounds, so maybe they were telling him this, and, and you can probably help me out here, but... Um, if they weren't telling him this, they should have. Like, at some point, you got to be like, dude, you're down 3 nothing." I mean, even if you think, like, maybe he won the first round, like, you've got to say, it's, it, you know, you got to hit the panic button now. you got to go for it. You have to leave it all out there. And I thought we saw a glimpse of that in the fifth. He had some successful moments in the fifth. Uh, I still don't think it was enough to win that round. But uh, Rob Fon admitted after the fight, like, Cody hurt him a couple times. He felt Cody's power a couple times. Uh, you know, I, I just thought maybe the feeling of urgency and just like letting it all go, uh, should have probably happened a little sooner because Rob Font was dominating that fight. Yeah. You know, uh, like you said, in the first round, Cody was, uh, getting some takedowns and they seem relatively easy. I think that just goes to show like, you know, in past fights, Cody doesn't really use his wrestling. So, you know, he said in the lead up to this, that he was going to use his wrestling, but you know, 
how much do you really put into that when someone talks, you know, pre-fight? Like, are you really going to use your wrestling? So, you know, Rob comes in and, you know, he gets taken down uh, relatively easily by, by Cody in the first round. But then he was, you know, he started to get that in his head. Like, okay, Cody's going to use some of his wrestling. And Cody wasn't able really to get to him at first. He was still trying to figure that out. So as the fight's going on, uh, Rob is knowing, like, okay, the, the takedown is going to come. Uh, more often than not. So uh, he was able to stuff a lot of them. So I think after the third round, I think Cody should have made that adjustment. Like, man, I'm down. Um, I'm definitely down uh, 2-1 if I'm not down 3-0. I have to change uh, change some things up. I have to get to him. I have to kind of just maybe just throw things out the window. And, uh, you know, he spent the fourth round doing the same thing. And as, after that, you know, he's definitely down 3-1 or, or if not 4-0. So, you know, at that point, his corner's telling him, like, hey, you know, uh, you're down, you know, we're going to have to, we're going to need a finish. So then he comes out in the fifth round trying to, you know, have, trying to find more opportunities for himself on the feet, but he should have been uh, doing it a lot sooner, man. Uh, and we know he's capable of doing it. We know right. we've seen him uh, in all these fights, but I don't know if he was trying to, you know, prove like I can go five rounds still, you know, I can, my chin can hold up. You know, I don't know if that, if he was trying to prove that point, but you know, he should have definitely been going for it a little uh, sooner than the fifth round. Yeah, no doubt. I, I scored that fight 50-45 for Rob Font. If you want to make the argument that Cody Garbrandt won the first round, like, I'm not going to say you're crazy. I, I disagree with that, but I don't think it's absurd to give Cody Garbrandt the first round, right? Like, I, I thought that Rob Font did enough that when you factor in the two takedowns that really resulted in nothing, um, for me, the two takedowns, there, there was just not enough along with the takedowns to, I think, equal what Rob Font did on the feet. If it had been close, then maybe that's the difference for me, but I felt like Rob Font had a sizable margin if you take out the two takedowns. And then, um, like, the fifth obviously was a significantly closer round for Cody Garbrandt than two, three, or four, but that doesn't mean he won the round. Like, this idea that just because he has a couple of moments in a round or that it's a closer round than the others... I, I, I was baffled that there was a 48-47 score on a fight card when the, you know, 50-45, I think, was, uh, at what, I mean, I thought it was, e that was an easy 50-45 for me. Like, I didn't even struggle with any of those rounds. Uh, but like I said, if you wanted to say 49-46, like, you know, I'm not going to, like, disagree with you. Uh, so, yeah, I just, uh, I, I didn't I didn't understand what was happening there. Yeah, you know, I gave Cody the first round, I think, mainly because I picked him. So I was trying to <laughs> be like, okay, yeah, Cody won that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, outside outside of that, you know, I was okay with, you know, you were like, uh, I got Font probably 2-0 right now. I'm like, yeah, I mean, it could be 1-1, but it's probably 2-0, 3-0. You know, uh, the, 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 the fight was going in Font's way, most of it. And then the fifth round, like you said, it was just closer than the, than the other rounds. But to me, that didn't mean that Cody won that round. You know, Rob right. Font basically controlled that. It was just Cody was just a, a little more active. Uh, but Rob Font definitely hit that performance from start to finish, man. It, it was it was championship level. It showed that he can go five rounds. Uh, he didn't um, after the third round. He didn't get tired or anything. Uh, it was still the same type of pace. Um, kept this, kept that same exact pace for five rounds. So I was really impressed by what I seen with Rob Font. Um, you know. And then the ability to be able to stuff takedowns after um, after the first round where he got taken down twice, you know, it just goes to show that he can make uh, in-fight adjustments and uh, still ha have his gas tank and everything. So I was very impressed with yeah. that. Yeah. 
I think I speak for both of us when I say that uh, our two favorite divisions right now in this sport are 155 and 135, and I think it's really disappointing. You know, obviously at 155, we had the the Habib saga where basically, what, nine months passes without a champion at, at the lightweight division, and there's all these killers, all these guys that are in the prime of their career that deserve title shots, and we're just going to hold this thing up for nine months for the sake of, like, you know, whatever. Um, you know, we're kind of in that situation a little bit at 135 because of the Aljo Yon situation, because there was the injury and the massive delay now for the rematch. Obviously, that's the next fight for the belt is the rematch. There's no way around it. You have to put those guys back in the octagon together. But when you factor in the injury and the delay, like it's also a division right now where there's a bunch of deserving guys to go get that title opportunity. But we're kind of at like this stalemate where we have to wait for some of these other dominoes to drop. So my question with all that said is, obviously Corey Sanhagen's fighting uh, TJ Dillashaw coming up. Um, Rob Font has now beat Marlon Marais and Cody Garbrandt. What do you want to see for Rob Font next? Man, um, if he's not going to wait, um, which, you know, he's not going to get the next title shot because, of course, that's Beyond and Sterling. He's not going to get the one after that because that's the TJ um, Cody winner or uh, Corey winner. Yeah. I think at this point, he's going to have to fight someone else. And I think, um, man, he's beaten uh, Marais. You know, I think. You know, I would like to see like a maybe a, a Pedro or even like an Aldo fight, but you know those two Pedro, guys. Pedro, yeah, now. We, I love that matchup. So, by the way. I, I, yeah, that's a great matchup. Uh, I wish they would have waited because like the winner of that could have fought the winner of Rob and, and Cody. Like that, that could have been great. But you know, I think when you go down the rankings, I think um, I think the only name left that could give him uh, those same type of championship level implications is uh, Dominic Cruz. Yeah. Yeah, I, that that would be a great matchup as well. I think that would be uh, that would be a good seller. Um, people would love to see it. Uh, I, I I think that for Rob Vaughn, it makes a lot of sense also. Um, or you can wait for the loser of Corey TJ if you wanted to do that. But uh, he's gonna. I mean, again, because of the stalemate, he's gonna have to fight again, right before right. before you know all the dust settles and he's in the front of the line. Yeah, he's gonna have to fight again. It's not. It's not the case of a, um, a Yuri Prohaska who like knows like um, the winner of this fight. I'm fighting next. Like right. he's in. He's like in line, and there's like the line's not moving. Like uh, he's gonna have to stand in line. So might as well just go ahead and book yourself another fight. Um, he didn't take much damage in that Cody fight. You know, take some time. Yeah. Um, get get right and then get back in there. You know, with Dominic coming off a, coming off a win. Um, He's still got that that name value. Uh, he's probably still the best bantamweight champion of all time. So uh, you put that name in your resume. I mean, it's hard to deny you a title shot at, at some point. And and then same thing for Dominic. You know, if you want to, you know, jump the rankings, uh, get right back in the title picture. You beat the guy who's ranked number two or three at this point, or, or four. You know, uh, go ahead and uh, match up with him, get the win over him, and you're right back on title picture. Yeah. Yeah. That division's a lot of fun. Let's, uh, same question, but for Cody Garbrandt. I, I, I wouldn't be mad if you went, went ahead and went down and, uh, gave that division, uh, some name value because, you know, there's Figueredo, there's Brandon Moreno, uh, but there's still a lot of guys that we don't really know too much about, especially the casual fans. Like, after, yeah. uh, Davidson fights Moreno, like, 
you know, who provides that game that people are going to be like, oh, I want to I want to watch it, you know. Uh, I think if Cody went down, you know, like you said, you know, the casual fans know of Cody Garbrandt, you know. Uh, so I think if um, he went, went ahead and made the move to go down, but at this point, uh, he doesn't really need to do much at 35. You know, that division is so loaded. You go down to 125 at flyweight, and uh, you're right there in the title mix. So yeah, I, if it were me, I w- if I were Cody, I would just go ahead and go down. Uh, I agree 100%. I, I look at 135, and, you know, we just talked about all the guys at the top currently have matchups. Uh, what makes sense for him? I mean, you have to start going further down. Um, I guess, like, if you wanted to do a Dominic Cruz rematch, if Dominic, you know, maybe that's appealing to Dominic Cruz to try and avenge that loss. I, I don't know what that situation would be, but that would be a big seller for both guys, I would imagine. But beyond that, like, I, I don't know... I mean, do you want to use is Cody Garbrandt in a position where he would want to like potentially be the guy that puts over a Sean O'Malley and and boosts a guy like that up toward the like top five? You know, I, I don't know if he wants to do wants to be in that situation. Uh, One twenty five makes all the sense in the world. Um, I, I look at that division and like you said, I, I think there are a bunch of really talented guys. There's just not a lot of star power, right? Like Figueroa has that wow factor to him. I think when he fights. I think everybody on that list underneath Figueredo, all great fighters, without a doubt, but we've just not seen a bunch of wow moments from those dudes. And I think Cody Garbrandt going to 125, like if they said immediately that Figueredo garbrandt is, is your next title matchup after the Moreno fight, assuming, obviously, that Figueredo beats Moreno. Uh, and and look, it, you know, maybe, maybe even if Moreno wins, but um, Figueredo garbrandt I think, is a blockbuster matchup. Yeah, you know, they, they had that match um, set up, I think, last, what, uh, December maybe it was. Uh, and then uh, Alex Perez stepped in because Cody got sick. Um, and, you know, even then, that was going to be the main event of a, of a pay-per-view. So, you know, they know what they have with Figueredo, with Garbrandt. And, you know, now if if Figueredo wins this, that's going to be his, what, his third title defense? Yeah. So, you know, now he's got some title defenses under his belt. Now you put him in there with Cody Garbrandt, the former Bantamweight champion of the world. That fight's going to be able to sell. You know, Cody Garbrandt is uh, is big with the casuals and everything. So uh, I think that's a great matchup. And then stylistically, uh, you know, if Cody goes goes in there and just, you know, fights how we're used to seeing him fight with uh, how Figueredo's looking as well, that's going to be a really, really fun fight. So, um but, you know, now that I was thinking about 135, I'll, I'll throw this one out to you, at you to see what you think about this one. Uh, what if Cody Garbrandt stayed at 135 and fought Marlon Marais? Yeah, that makes sense. The only problem with that is Marais is uh, coming off a three-fight – he's on a three-fight losing streak. But, you know, Cody's lost four of his last right. five. And, you know, I think if, if Marais just goes back out there and just fights how we're used to seeing him fight, I think that – Sahudo loss just completely uh, did the did the worst for him. Like he hasn't been the same since that fight. But um, yeah, you know, if we're used to seeing both these guys fight a certain way, and they kind of tried to change their fighting style because they wanted to be at the top. Yeah. Um, but stylistically, both of those guys, just you know, with his leg kicks, Morais, and how uh, quick Cody is, I think that would be a really fun fight. It'd be a great fight. I, I would love to watch that fight. And look, once again, we've had this conversation in other divisions, but it's two big names that are currently on the the wrong side of the skid, and 
you're going to salvage at least one of them, right? Like you're going to course correct for one of these guys. And one of these guys is going to gain a lot of momentum from that fight. Cause there's got to be a winner. I mean, I guess there doesn't have to be, but uh, you know, I mean, you expect that at the end of that, one of those guys is going to get their arm raised and, and that guy's going to have, you know, forward momentum again, as opposed to currently having two big names in that division that are going in the wrong direction. So yeah, that makes a ton of sense as well. I think that would be a, a brilliant idea. Again, all all assuming Cody wants to stay at 135 and not drop down. I know they said in the broadcast on Saturday that I guess he he had mentioned like he could make 125 with no problem. So if you can make 125 with no problem, like you know, the the I think there are two guys in that division that have that kind of knockout power, and it's Figueredo and it would be Garbrandt. Yeah, you know, uh, he says he's been saying that in a lot of of his interviews. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if he's being asked a lot of these times, but most of it, uh, he's saying like, I can go down, I can make one twenty five. I think at this point, um, especially with a championship in in the sights, like you put Cody Garbrandt in that division, um, there's not many people who can just be like, I deserve this title shot after Moreno uh, fights Figueroa. So. Um, I think that's the perfect move for him, uh, especially with the championship being there. Um, he adds star power. It's going to be a fun fight. No matter if he fights Moreno or Fregredo, I think that's uh, smart for him to go down. Well, our co-main event was Carla Esparza and Jan Shaunan. And holy cow, statement made by Carla Esparza. Like, I was, uh, you know, the the emoji with the big eyes where it's just like, like that's that's what I was like watching that fight. I was just like, holy cow! She wanted to prove a point, and she absolutely proved it on a massive stage. Um, you know, obviously we talked about this last week. If she were to win, the natural assumption is the Rose title fight with the history that's there. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I again, I, I, I was doubtful as to whether or not she could get this one. But good night. That was really impressive, dominant performance. Man, I tell you what, if you would have asked me, how do I think this fight's going to end, finish or decision, I would have bet probably everything that I own (laughs) that uh, this fight was going to end in a decision for for Jan Shaunan. You know, I just didn't think that, I thought Carter was just on the wrong side of of things here. I thought Shaunan's striking was just going to be too much for but man, Watching Carla in that fight, man, it reminded me of Carla when she was the champion, uh, when she yeah. first came off. When she was on the Ultimate Fighter in those in those fights in the house, man, uh, she looked dominant. Like no one could really uh, uh, deal with her wrestling. And even even Rose, when when they fought for the inaugural uh, flyweight ti- or uh, strawweight title, Rose couldn't deal with the wrestling. Of course, Rose was still very young, but she could not deal with Carla's wrestling. And it, and that performance by Carla on on Saturday. It reminded me of when she was a champion, man, just uh, being able to go out there and actually get a finish. You know, she has been in, in decision after decision after decision. So I just didn't think that she had a performance like this in her. So I I guess just uh, with that performance, it just surprised the mess out of me, man. I, yeah. I was I was shocked. I, it's good to see, though, man, because she had that title run and then she got completely dominated by Joanna and she's been trying to work her way back up to this point for so long. And now to see her right here on the cusp of a title shot, it's just good to see. Yeah. Um, I, I I mean, you mentioned the Ioana fight. I, that's kind of what I, into, I not, not necessarily that I felt like it was going to be a finish, but that's kind of what I envisioned with this matchup. Uh, and 
I mean, that was just a mauling, dude. Like, I was like, holy cow, this is just next level, prove a point, like, I, uh, it was just a rejuvenation of sorts, right? Like, like Carla Esparza is on a winning streak. It's not like she's, you know, not in good position, but we haven't seen her look like that. That was a whole different level. Yeah, you know, a lot of these fights have been split decisions. You know, her barely, you know, maybe uh, Marina Rodriguez would, won't beat her. Maybe Michelle Watterson beat her. These fights have been like razor, razor uh, close decisions. But, you know, this one, she knew, like, I have to make a statement. I have to prove a point. This fight's going to get me to the title shot. Uh, if, if I look dominant in this fight, you know, a lot of people say this when I'm the cusp of a title shot. If I make a statement with this fight, then I'm going to get a title shot. And most of the time, uh, people don't make that statement. But Carla made that statement. You know, she didn't just get the win. Uh, she dominated. Uh, she, got her, she got her in the crucifix. It was raining down elbows. Like, I feel like she's been frustrated for all these years. People riding her off. People doubting her. Um, she was she was the first strawweight champion for a reason, and we finally uh, saw uh, why Carla was so good. Um, now she's she's back, man. Uh, I really feel like she deserves that title shot. Yeah, it, that's uh, that's also a stacked division. Um, if they went that route, I, I think it would be a lot of fun. That also would open the door for the uh, Yuana Whaley rematch, uh, which I you know I don't think anybody would be uh, against. So. I don't know what you would do with uh, Marina Rodriguez at that point or uh, Mackenzie Dern. I mean, maybe that's that's a matchup you could make. Uh, but you know, when you look at when you look at that division and who's next, um, man, it's it's hard to deny Carla that opportunity when uh, she's got the win streak. She wins that impressively, and she has the win over the champion. Yeah, I think that's the thing that does it for me. You know, if she had just been on a five-fight winning streak, uh, you know, with Whaley losing the way that she did, you know, she's a star and everything. I would have, I would have been okay. Like, I still would be okay if Whaley would get the title shot, but sure. I just think there's a built-in story with uh, Rose and Carla. You know, Rose lost to Carla in their in the very first strawweight championship fight. Uh, so why not see like what it would look like now? So. Um, I, I'm all for that fight, man. I'm all for Rose and Carla fighting again. But, you know, I wouldn't be mad if they did um, Rose and Wei Lee. You know, Joanna's kind of just there on the sideline. Uh, she has no problem waiting. She's kind of like in a Max Holloway predicament in, in a way. Yeah. But uh, my, my question is, what's going to happen with Marina and Mackenzie Dern? You know, I feel like, you know, go ahead and put those those ladies in a, in a fight. But do you really, like, make that fight now? Like, it just doesn't seem like in the history of the sport, like that's the fight that, that you make, you know, two right. fighters who are just on this collision course, you know, like you don't make the fight like right that minute, but I don't know, man, I, I would love to see this division is very stacked. Uh, man, I can't wait to see how it plays out. Yeah, no doubt. All right. Uh, other, other fights on this card, Jared Vandera over, uh, Justin Taffa. Uh, this was a wild one as well. It, they were a bloody mess by the end of this thing. Yeah. You know, I thought this was going to be a, a heavyweight fight that was going to be mostly standing, which it was. But you know, I didn't. There, were, I didn't have many expectations of it. But this fight turned out to be the fight of the night, back and forth. Um, Vandera looked really, really good. That cut on his head, man, it just was Brutal. leaking, man. Yeah. It, it was, it was such a bad cut. But he went out there and still fought through it, man. Uh, that was a really fun fight, man. I was really 
I was really, I really enjoyed watching that fight for sure. Yeah, it was one of those where, like, literally, I felt like any the the way those guys were throwing, I just felt like a knockout was coming at any second, and I felt that way for 15 solid minutes, and then it it goes to decision, and I'm like, I just watched 15 minutes of of like literally every second feeling like I'm seconds away from a knockout. I was exhausted by the end of it. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> Bandera, I really thought that he was going to get the knockout. It seemed like Toffa was barely holding on. I felt like he was getting tired. Yeah. And you know, Bandera's activity, I felt like, was kind of draining him a little bit. But Toffa was still landing some really, really big shots. Bandera looked really good. You know, I didn't know much about him. But, man, after a performance like that, everyone's going to know who, who uh, Jared sure. Bandera is, man. He looked really good. How about Norma Dumont over uh, Felicia Spencer? That was a, that was a good fight, man. Good she fight. looked... Uh, she looked a lot bigger than I than I thought she was going to. I thought Felicia was was just going to go in there and kind of dominate her, but uh, Felicia had a lot of trouble on the feet. Um, and you know when she couldn't get her down, it it was obviously a, a hole uh, for Felicia. Um, Norma was able to kind of just kind of piece her up, have her way with her. Uh, I was really impressed. You know, I think uh, we have a new featherweight contender in a way, but you know, I don't see. Um, I mean, she could get a title shot, but then again, it's just like, do you really give Amanda Norma Dumont after after that? But so, you know, it's just a tough yeah. situation to be in. But because there's there's no really no featherweight division, they're just kind of finding bantam uh, weights to move up. So um, I don't really know where they, where she goes from here, but I was really impressed with her performance. Yeah, I, I think she's uh, still a ways from Amanda's level. Uh, so maybe maybe Amanda wants to take that fight now, like before she gets more experience and gets better. I don't know. We'll see. Um, all right, let's hit Jack Hermanson, Edmund Shabazian. This was a fight I've been looking forward to as well. Shabazian looked just dialed in, sharp as could be in the first round, and I, I was really impressed, and then it became the Jack Hermanson show uh, the rest of the way. Once again, Edmund obviously has things to work on as far as that part of his game, but I also just want to say, like, Jack Hermanson is really, really good. Yeah, Jack Hermanson is at the top of the division, man. Uh, you know, he was on the cusp of a title shot before he lost to Vittori, and that was a really, really uh, fun fight, a really close fight as well. Uh, Vittori was all bruised and battered up after that fight. So Jack Hermanson's among the best in the world. Um, for Shabazzian, man, it's just tough, man, because he's he was a young prospect. Uh, you know, he got he had all these knockouts on his record. You know, he knocked out Brad Tavares when he knocked when he did that. I was like, oh, he's ready to go up and fight some of these uh, upper echelon yeah. guys. So they throw him again in there with Brunson, and Brunson's such a uh, his grappling. You know, it's it, it was it's just so high level that Shabazzian had no answer for it. So now they throw him in there with another guy whose grappling is, is is high level who can also strike. But I will say Shabazzian, like you said, he looked incredible in that first round. I thought. He put on some size, you know. He he looked a lot bigger than when I uh, remember last remember him fighting uh, Brunson. His back looked really big, so you know I thought you know, and I thought he looked considerably bigger than Jack Hermanson, but he just could not uh, stop the takedown after the first round. Um, yeah, he's got a lot to work on, man. It's, it's tough because he's such a young kid, but um, I, I wonder where he goes from here, man. It's just it's tough. It's kind of, it's kind of sort of uh, in a way similar to, to the Dominic Reyes situation. But he's just so young in his career. Like, he's, there's still a, a very high ceiling for him. Yeah. 
Um, I got a match for you. How about Edmund Shabazi and Kevin Holland? Both of those guys, two oh, fights wow. in a row, have like been stuck with these guys that just keep bringing them down. Let's let's let these two guys face somebody that wants to strike. It's stand up war. I think that'd be a great fight. And uh, again, it kind of puts both of them back in their sweet spot a little bit. Now, imagine, you know, Kevin Holland has been working at AKA on his yeah. wrestling, and I'm sure Evan Shabazian is going to go and uh, work on his wrestling. Is there any way that this turns into a wrestling match between two <laughs> really, really fun strikers? Like, I might actually, I, I, I always <laughs> say it's ridiculous when people get upset about the wrestling and the grappling and all that, but I might actually boo if I saw Kevin Holland and Edmund <laughs> Shabazian wrestling. Like, yeah, oh, get would, out of here. No. Yeah. That would not be high level stuff. High level stuff whatsoever. Like it would be very, very amateur level. You're just gonna be like, bro, what is going on? Just strike. Yeah. It would be. It would be uh, yeah. Ben Askren, Damian Maya level <laughs> stuff. <laughs> to see those two guys try to grapple, but um, Shabazzian and Kevin Holland, man, I think that would be a very, very fun matchup. Like uh, both of these guys, nobody wants to see them on the feet. You know, right. um, whenever these guys are on the feet, uh, they're piecing them up. You know, Shabazzian is piecing up Jack Hermanson. Uh, Kevin Holland was piecing up Marvin Vittori, so people have to re- revert to taking these uh, these takedowns and, and controlling them there. Um, I think if these two guys fight each other, it would be very fun. These are two tall guys. Um, yeah, man, I would love to see that one. Yeah, amen. That would be that'd be an awesome fight. All right, uh, let's hit a couple things, uh, and we will switch gears uh, with no fight card this weekend, no picks. Uh, so we will make our uh, our picks next Thursday for the following card. By the way, I don't. I I, I forgot to. Uh, calculate the scores, but I can just tell you that you led by nine last week. There were four points available as far as us picking opposite fights. I got all four of them, so I don't know the exact score, but I know you have a five-point lead. I will have the exact score when we make our picks next week. So the lead has been cut down from nine to five. Yeah, you. Yeah, you know, four points available. You definitely took them all. Um, yeah, I got to take my time and make sure that I'm picking these the fights right. Can't be, uh, you know, trying to be strategic and picking against you just to pick against you and stuff. So, got to go in the war room with this week off, you know, get back and calculate. Uh, yeah, build my lead back up. There you yeah, go. Yeah, got to build yeah. my lead back up. I was I was a lot more comfortable with the nine point lead. I'm a little <laughs> on edge now. All right, that's <laughs> right where I want you to be. Right where I want you to be. All right, uh, John Jones has new representation. Will which. Uh, I've been following a little bit of this on Twitter today. Um, the rumor mill is saying maybe this is what eventually leads to a John Jones Francis Ngannou title fight. I, man, when John Jones got rid of his management after so long, you just kind of think like, what's like, who could he possibly bring in that's really going to just like move the needle to John Jones' favor? And you know, now with the, with his new management that he brought in. It just seems like that was definitely the right way to go. You know, he's a he's a boxing guy, so you know the boxers they make so much money. Um, I just think um, bringing that into the MMA world, I think that's just only going to help and uh, benefit John Jones. So I'm with you, man. I think we're uh, that much closer to seeing uh, at least John Jones fight again, if anything. Because yeah. um, you know he's talking about doing this holding out and waiting and stuff. I think we're really close now to seeing John Jones back. Yeah, I hope so. Um, you know, he's uh, obviously a lot of people consider him to be the greatest ever. Uh, I think he's still number one in the pound for pound rankings, which 
makes zero sense to me, but you know, if that's the way you want to do it, so be it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, John Jones back in the octagon is good for everybody. And apparently Dana White also had good things to say about the move, uh, to Richard Schaefer, who's the former CEO of golden boy promotions. So take that for what it's worth. All right. Uh, last thing before we switch, Paul Felder retires on Saturday night. Um, the timing of it for me was really weird. Like to, to just randomly do it on like a fight night, uh, card. I, I thought just kind of seemed aw- an odd time to like release the news. Uh, but if, if you asked me if Paul Felder retiring would surprise me, I, I, I think, I think the answer is no. I wasn't terribly shocked by the fact that he was retiring. I just thought the timing was kind of strange. Yeah. Um, you know, when he fought Dan Hooker, uh, I forget what month that was, but when he fought Dan Hooker, um, that fight, how how crazy it was, you know, that was that was him and, and Hooker trying to get uh, close to the title shot. And, you know, that's what Paul Feathers in the sport for uh, was to get the, the title shot. And unfortunately, the, the decision didn't go his way. And I think, you know, at that point, he was one foot in, one foot out. I think when he, after he lost that fight, he went home and he was just kind of like, you know, uh, I have a family. Um, I have this. I have something to go back on. I have this broadcasting gig. Um, so, what's fighting really going to do for me now if I'm not going to get close to the title shot? Uh, he did come back for that one fight with RDA on five days' notice, um, which is what you know he's built for. You know, he's always game. But you know, I think after that Hooker fight, he was just you know he had one foot in, one foot out. You know, there was yeah. speculation on if he would even come back after that. So. Um, like you said, the timing of it, it's, it's, it's weird, but, you know, it's not surprising at all. Yeah. Um, there was, I don't know what it was about that RDA fight, but look, like this was a guy that wanted to be the champion, right? Like that was Paul Felder's goal. He wanted to be the champion. And for him to be in a situation where it kind of felt like a moral victory, to me, just like that to me, it just felt like a different Paul Felder. And so, you know, I think anytime you have somebody like change your mentality to that degree where it's like, you're so focused on championship and then to like, kind of just switch gears to that point where you're like, you know what? I'm just happy to show that I could, I could be in the octagon and go five rounds. And like, I, you know, at that point I just kind of like, not, not that I thought he was done. Cause obviously the guy can still fight at a high level, but to me, that was a sign of a change in mentality. And anytime you have that, I think especially in this sport, like it's not surprising if the end comes shortly after or somebody decides, hey, I've had enough. Yeah, I'm with you 100%, man. Uh, you know, I think when he, when he lost the hooker, that just took so much out of him as far as like um, the, the one-two. Um, and, you know, after that, uh, RDA fight, he's just kind of going to be in the middle of the pack. Like, we're talking about him fighting Tony Ferguson, who's on another um, skid. But, um, you know, we're talking about them just going out there and proving how tough they are. And the winner of that fight, you know, it, it doesn't really do too much for you. At this point, uh, Paul Felder, if he, if he would were to beat Tony Ferguson, uh, he moves up, but he's still one, two, three fights away from a title shot. And, you know, I'm sure that's not something yeah. he's really – uh, committed to doing so I think it's it's good for him to get out now while people know that you can still do this um you're not on like some four fight skid where everyone's just like you know maybe it's time you know he went out on his terms he went out proving that he's uh one of the best in the world 
Um, I forget what his ranking was. I believe it was um, eight or nine. Uh, I think. Yeah, eight or nine. Yeah. But he got up. He got up to like uh, fifth in the world. So uh, Paul Felder, man, uh, in, in such a stacked division, he made a really good name for himself. So uh, yeah. hats off to him. Yeah, nothing but respect for Paul Felder. I'm I always loved watching him fight. Uh, I think he's great as far as commentary goes. Um, I also think it's, you know, he's in such a great position where he also has that to turn to as opposed to like, I can't do anything else. I have to keep fighting even though maybe the desire is gone, right? Like that he said on fight night, like I, I, I don't have that same burning desire and I can't lie to myself anymore about it. And I think for him, you know, like because he has the broadcasting, it's easier to come to terms with that than some of these guys that literally like they're not they have no idea what else they're going to do if they're not fighting. So they just keep going and keep going. And, you know, even though he lost to RDA, even though he lost to Dan Hooker, like it, it doesn't feel like he's in that same sort of boat going out the way that like maybe it feels like with Cowboy to a degree or, you know, what's happening with Tony Ferguson right now where you're just seeing. I know he lost, but like, it doesn't feel like it was just a completely different version of Paul Felder. Right. Uh, he can still do this. Like if I wouldn't be mad if Paul Felder kept fighting because we know the, how tough he is and we know that he's still a championship level fighter. Like he yeah. can go in there and give any of these guys a really, really tough fight. Right. But you know, if you don't have that desire, it's best uh, just to go out, just to go out now. And especially having something to go back on. It's not like he's like, uh, Anderson Silva, where you're just like, man, like, I wonder what he's going to do. You know, MMA was is like Anderson Silva's world, like uh, Alistair Overeem. He's been in this sport so long that it, like MMA has become his life. And I think Paul Felder has his priorities in straight. Uh, he has his priorities straight where he's like, my family's here. I have something else to fall back on. I don't have to keep taking punishment and going back to my family with uh, bruises and being all beat up. You know, I can right. go I can go to this trip. Uh, people can see me on, they can see me on TV suited and stuff. So, um, good on Paul Felder, man. God, out while he, uh, can still go. Absolutely. All right. The NBA, I'm sure our next comments are not going to be as friendly as they just were to Paul Felder. Will Brewer, the LA Clippers. What is happening, man? Well, I feel like the entire basketball watching community right now is very anti Clippers based on what we've seen from them in the first two games of the playoffs. Okay, so they can say until you know their face turns blue that they uh, did not tank, that they just wanted to rest their stars for the end of the season. But the way it looks to the world, the way it looks to, all of, to, to me and you, it looks like they tanked to avoid the Lakers in the first round because it looked you know like the Lakers are going to be the, the 7 a seed. They were up there in the, in the second, third spot. So they were going to faced them either in the first round or the second round. So it looked like the Clippers were trying to avoid the Lakers. And not only that, but it seemed like they handpicked, like, we're going to tank so we can play the Dallas Mavericks because that's probably our, our best bet to, uh, to, to advance. I would, I would have agreed man, with that, by the way. If you had said what's their best chance to advance, I would have said the Dallas Mavericks. So I think they're right. That's that's true, but there's really no like easy route. Well, no, yeah, not in the West. Yeah, like the West is just so loaded that there's really no like route to being like, okay, we can beat this team. But man, the way that they're going out there, it, it just seems like they're not providing any resistance to the to, to the Dallas Mavericks. Like they're getting wide open looks. Luca's going in there, going into the paint with no resistance, and I'm I am begging them 
to go away from this from this switch everything stuff because not only are they switching soft, but they're switching so willingly Zubats and Patrick Beverly on Luka Doncic. Zubats is too slow. Patrick Beverly is too small. Like they have to get to a point where they're keeping Paul George or Kawhi Leonard on Luka Doncic. But every time I, I watch him, like Kawhi will start on them, like they're picking them up full court. But, but the pick comes, and they're just like, okay, here you go. Like, uh, it, it, it's it's frust- it's frustrating because the Clippers are a team. When you look at their roster, like, oh, that's a pretty solid defensive team. You know, you got Kawhi Leonard, Defensive Player of the Year, Paul George, who's known for his defense. Uh, Patrick Beverly is known for his defense. Serge, you know, all these guys, Batum, they're all known for their defense. But the the Mavericks are averaging, what, like 125 points on them? Like, they're shooting wide-open threes and just, yeah. like, every, everyone is just killing them. It, it, Tim Hardaway Jr. is having the, the series of his life against them. Uh, Benny Smith like everyone they're just completely demolishing them and it's it's sad (laughs) you know what it feels like to me it feels like it's it's very similar to those two years that russell westbrook and paul george were together in oklahoma city right where you have like you look at the team you look at the talent level and what is there as far as the ceiling and then you look at the product, and they're drastically different, right? Like, the product doesn't even closely match what that team should be capable of. And a lot like those teams, it feels lazy. It feels like they're playing without heart. There's no toughness. And I think the, the final cherry on top that, that makes me, you know, just see the, those Thunder teams with this group, they're delusional about it all. Like, they act like there's no issues whatsoever. Like, we're fine. We're just going to be able to show up, and we're simply going to win games by being Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, right? Like, it's that's the mentality that they exude, and that was the mentality that, you know, Russell Westbrook and Paul George, and even that one year that Carmelo Anthony was here. Like, those guys just expected that simply because they were who they were, they were going to win every night. And then they were just like, oh, yeah, well, we didn't get it done tonight. No big deal. We'll be fine. Everything will be fine tomorrow night. And then it's not fine tomorrow night. And then it was the same thing. We'll be fine next week. Like, and then it's not. And and at some point, you just have to say, yeah, it's not fine. Our back's against a wall. <laughs> we we are facing adversity. We have to step up. We have to show some heart. We have to show some toughness. And it doesn't feel like there's any of that with this Clippers team right now, which I think is the biggest crime against sports. Like, sports fans can put up with a lot but when it feels like you're cheating the game from a heart standpoint, from a toughness standpoint, like you just show up and expect good things to happen, that's when sports fans really turn against you, and that's what I feel like I'm seeing with the Clippers. Man, you hit the nail on the head with that with that uh, comparison, man. Like now that I think about it, like that's exactly what I what I think that this is. Like the Clippers, it just seems like they can just go out. They feel that they can go out there just because. They have the Clippers on their on their chest, and they have Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and Serge Ibaka. All these names right. that they can just go out there, and it's just going to happen for them. Like they don't have to provide any any toughness, any heart. And like you know, Ty Lue and Paul George, like when they're doing these interviews, they're like, "Yeah, like you know, we, we're it's good. Fine. You know, they've won two they've won two games. You know, uh, they they shot really well. You know, like there's no like there's no cause to worry. Like uh, like." trying to make it out to, as the fans and the media are just seeing something that's just completely not there. Like, as if we're just seeing, like, yeah. oh, yeah. Like, no. Like, come on. Be honest with yourself, Ty Lue. Be honest with yourself, Paul George. Like, right. you lost 
two games at home in a in a series, and now you're gonna have to go on the road, and you ha- like th- you got to you're gonna have to go on the road and win a do or die game three, and like there's no cause for us to believe that you guys can get that done, right? Like you got like the Clippers gave up a three one lead last year. There's nothing that we've seen that makes it that makes me to believe that they're gonna go out there and get this job done. Um, for for me and from probably most of the world, it, it looks like the Clippers are gonna get swept because they're not providing anything defensively that makes me think otherwise. And now that they're going on the road, I just think it, it could it could get worse. Like they have to go out there and they have to provide some type of resistance, some type of some type of toughness to these guys because yeah. they're making this they're making it way too easy. Like Luca's out here screaming on them, like ah, you're too small, like like flexing on them and all this stuff. Like come on, man. On Get pissed, floor. right? Like that. Where where Get is pissed. the fire? There is no fire on that team, and it is. It, it, it's really disgusting to watch. Like I'm just like so anti Clippers because there's no fire. There's it feels like there is zero passion, zero give a damn about showing up and playing your best. And once again, it goes back to like if you play hard and Luca beats you on a you know in the final minute of the game, you know what? Then you show up to the press conference, you say you gave it your all, you're not worried because you played well and it just didn't go your way. But when you're not playing hard, when you're not finding, you know, that that rhythm between the team, the chemistry, there's not the fire, the try hard, the willingness to go fight for a win, I think that's when there are big problems. And that's not a Dallas Maverick thing anymore. That's a Clippers thing. You have a massive problem on your hands. Yeah, uh, look. It is, it is a massive problem because Luke is out here flexing on them. Porzingis is out here getting these dunks, just one hand, just sledgehammers on these guys. Uh, Kleber, and uh, even though he got dunked on, you know, he's out here uh, shooting like 80%. Finney Smith, I, all these guys down the line, they're just having these career games against, against uh, the Clippers. And it just seems like they're okay with, like, you cannot be okay with uh, the Mavericks just ha- just averaging 125 points on you on your home floor. Like, you know, this team is too talented. I think that's the thing that's just the, uh, so frustrating about it. They have they have guys on both ends that you would think, like, the way that this team looks, like, this is a championship-level team, but they just, they just expect it to happen. And it's just sad to see because they're so talented. Yeah. Agreed. And, I, for, and, and, and man... With with two and a half minutes left, Marcus Morris fouled out. They were at a size disadvantage because they had Porzingis out there, and they already had uh, Morris playing the five. So Ty Lue goes even smaller and puts Reggie Jackson in. So you had Reggie Jackson, Pat Bev, uh, Terrence Mann, Paul George, and Kawhi Leonard out there. Yeah. And, like, I, I don't know what the philosophy behind that was, but, like, you have to have some type of height in there. Like, I know that. Kawhi and uh, and Paul George, like they're solid defenders, but it's not looking that way. Uh, and and too many times, and especially after Marcus Morris fouled out, like Luka just went into the paint. They had no bigs in there, just layup after layup. And then when they try to close off the paint, he just kicks it to Tim Hardaway. He kicks it to Finney Smith, and they're just knocking down threes. Yeah, uh, it's it's frustrating because they're so good. Yeah, I, I, the Clippers are the better team in this series. Like, it's not, I, I don't even, I don't think it's close, to be honest with you. Like, when you look at the two rosters, there is no reason that the Clippers shouldn't win this series with, I, I'm not going to say relative ease, because they're playing one of the best players in the NBA, Luka. Um, he's, he alone is going to make it a difficult series, but, like, across the board, it, this should, this should look 
considerably better for the Clippers. And yeah, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe behind closed doors, something happens before game three. But if I had to bet my money on it, I would say that's not going to be the case. And we're going to see another, um, pretty lazy, lackluster, uh, lame performance. And, you know, let me just say this. They're playing pretty decent on offense. Like, they're pretty much getting what they want. The problem is they're not providing any resistance on defense. Like, yeah. defense is, is supposed to be their calling card. That's supposed to be the thing that separates them. They have all these defensive guys. Well, it requires all the up. things we've talked about, right? Toughness and, and fire and desire and all that stuff. Yeah. It, offense doesn't require that. Like, you can right. be as skilled as they come. Paul George is skilled. Kawhi Leonard can go out there, score 40, dunk on people and all that. But defense, it, it takes that extra something, especially play, uh, come playoff time. In the playoffs, that's when the defense is supposed to turn up. That's when everything's supposed to turn up. You know, uh, offensively, they can do what they do. You know, Kawhi scored 40, Paul George scored 29 or whatever. But it, it means nothing. They're playing from behind the whole game. And then, you know, on defense, they're just completely – letting them just cakewalk into the lane. It's, sorry. Uh, it's just it's just tough to see because they're so good. Yeah. But if they're, good, if they're just going to play like that, then I hope Dallas sweeps them. Yeah, agreed. Uh, any other uh, any other thoughts on uh, what we've seen to this point? Man, I, I have a lot. <laughs> um, like, uh, people were putting a lot into the Lakers-Sun series. And granted, Chris Paul getting hurt plays a factor. But when they lost, when they lost game one, I didn't even, you know, blink too much because, you know, I think in the Western Conference playoffs last year, they lost every single game one that they played and then won the next four. So, you know, when they lost this game against the Suns, um, I felt like the Lakers, you know, they're still in good position to just take one game uh, and, and get home court back and then still win in five. Like, I still had the Lakers right. in five, especially with, with Chris Paul. Uh, hurt. I have them uh, winning in five. Uh, man, uh, Trey Young with the Knicks, like uh, the way that he uh, just shushed them after that floater, man. Like Trey Young is tough, man. Uh, I I didn't give him much credit coming into the league. I thought that you know, oh, he's going to be in the NBA. These guys are going to be too big, too fast. Like, but yeah, Trey Young has proven that he's a really really good player in this league. Um, out, man, what, what other series, series? Oh, my uh, Heat fan over here. But uh, goodness gracious, uh, Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, that performance that they put on last, uh, I forget what day it was, but that was the way they shot that three ball, man. It was crazy. Brent Forbes and Steven Shinso and uh, P.J. Tucker, Drew Holiday, like just everyone was just raining down threes. And there was nothing that the Heat could do. Um, I, I think they made like nineteen twenty three. So yeah, um, man, it's been a good it's been a good uh, playoff so far, though. We'll say that. I picked Lakers in seven over the Suns. I thought it would be a good series. I think the Lakers are definitely gettable, but I don't think they're gettable if you don't have a hundred percent Chris Paul. So if Chris Paul's healthy, I think the Suns could win that series. I think it's possible. Uh, but I mean, if he's not, you saw what happened in the final minutes of last night. Like you can do so much to get to that point, but when you're in the game winning minutes, like that's when not having Chris Paul was very glaring. And you know, that's when a great game all of a sudden turned into like a Lakers lead by eight. Um, 
I don't feel like the Lakers are nearly as good as they were defensively a year ago. Uh, I mean, they were so good defensively last year. I mean, and it was, it felt like it was 48 minutes, right? Like, minus the game ones, uh, like, they, they were just, they were all over you defensively last year. It just, it felt suffocating. And I, I don't think it's even close to that level this year, which is why I think they're gettable. Um, you know, they, they, they obviously, LeBron and Anthony Davis give you a chance to win every single game you play. But, um, you know, the other guys, if that level of defense isn't there on any given night, like there's not like a lot of other star power uh, that you can guarantee is going to show up in a big way every night. So I think they're definitely gettable. I've got them in the NBA Finals, though. Like it's still yeah. LeBron James and it's still Anthony Davis. And I think over the course of seven games, like I just don't see where there's a matchup that uh, those two guys aren't able to take advantage of their individual matchups within all those games. So I, I, I the series I most want to see in these playoffs leading up to the finals is Milwaukee versus Brooklyn. Um, but ultimately, like I, I think Brooklyn, barring any of those guys getting hurt, I think Brooklyn's going to breeze to a championship. Man, oh, well, let me say this about the the Lakers and their defense from last year. Like, you had a guy at every position who just was really like a defensive specialist in a way. Like, Avery Bradley, Danny Green, like, Dwight Howard inside, JaVale McGee, his link. Like, uh, now with them missing that. um, KCP was really good defensively in the bubble. Oh, can't forget about KCP. Like, KCP was like the the unsung hero of the bubble with uh, the way that he played defense and the way he shot the ball. Like, man. Um, but you know, this year, uh, they, they added pieces, you know, they're still so much bigger than everyone. That's where I think their main advantage is. Yeah. If they actually just go out, go out there and just impose their will on, on people, uh, taking it inside because, you know, they're not a a very good three point shooting team, but you have a guy like Andre Drummond who can get uh, a double double in the first half, like he did last, uh, last night, you got LeBron who's bigger than everybody already. You have AD who, when he plays aggressive is one of the top five players in the NBA, uh, Schroeder, you know, he showed last night he can get to the rim whenever he wants. Like, he's so fast. It's just like a blur. He makes one a little crossover and then he's gone. So, um, you know, KCP, you know, he's, his confidence seems like it's shot right now. But once he, once he gets back, like, he'll be that shooter that they need. You know, LeBron pulled him aside like, hey, I passed you the ball. Shoot the damn ball. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I think if he gets when he gets that confidence back uh, and, and watch, probably um, – here in these games that they play at home, he'll probably find his, his stroke back. But uh, yeah, I think it's Lakers all day in the West. You know, I, I think teams won't have an answer for both LeBron and AD. Right. Uh, and then in the East, like you said, it's very intriguing to see what would happen uh, with Philly or not Philly with uh, Brooklyn and Milwaukee, especially if Milwaukee's able to knock down threes like that. Like <laughs> if they're able to knock down threes like that, like that's going to make this series uh, that much more crazy. But yeah, you know, we're seeing it now with Brooklyn and Boston. Like these guys are, are probably at like 70% of, yeah. of their potential, maybe less. Yeah. And they're still just blowing and they're still blowing them out. So I think as they still get uh, used to each other and uh, as they add more games under their belt, they're just going to get even more scary. They're, they're like a race car. That's just uh, warming up the tires. Like they, they haven't even like fine tuned the thing yet. Like it's, it's still just, you know, it's all been put together and they're just, you're, you know, they're out on the track just kind of working out the bugs and it's still pretty seamless. I mean, it's like they had that bad first half against Boston in, in game one and like at that point it was hilarious because Twitter's like, oh, look at this. And then like, oh, overreacting. Come on, man. 
how many times do you have to watch the first half of an NBA game and understand that, like, literally, whatever you think at halftime, just throw it out the window. Like, come on. Yeah. Yeah, and especially with a team like Brooklyn. Like, okay, you, they had a bad first half, but there's no way that that's just going to happen over the course of, of a series. Like, these guys are too good. Uh, they have too much firepower. Kyrie can get hot whenever. James Harden can get hot whenever. Uh, KD, he's just efficient at all times. Like, there's just no stopping him. Yeah. Man, but with the way he's fallen these past couple of times, I swear, man, I think he's lost like 20 or 30 pounds since he left Golden State. Like, he just looks so, so thin. It just looks like whenever he falls now, like, just something's going to break on right, him. I agree. Yeah. And he's <laughs> taking some bad spills, too. Yeah, that that uh, when Marcus Smart tried to take the charge, I thought he, I thought his shoulder was done. I was yeah. like, oh man, yeah, that looked bad, but he just shook it off, man. Seven yeah. one, probably one hundred ninety pounds, but that's one of the greatest scorers in NBA history. Yeah, and and look, Blake Griffin looks phenomenal playing with that group. Like he doesn't have to be a superstar. He doesn't have to be the feature player. Like he's just a guy that has to finish when they decide. Like, hey, I don't have my look. I'm going to give it to Blake Griffin. <laughs> As like a, a fourth or fifth option. Like what a what a great situation that is. I, I, I remember when people were like, Blake Griffin's not a star anymore. Like, so what? And I'm like, they're not asking him to be a star in Brooklyn. Like they're asking yeah. him to literally like take out the trash when, you know, it's it's his turn. And he's more than capable of doing that. Like it's and then Joe Harris just shoots like seventy percent from three for crying out loud. Like it's that it's insane. Man, Joe Harris, that guy, he's up there with uh, the best shooters in the league with the with the Stephs and, and uh, uh, Duncan Robinson, all those guys. Like, Joe Harris can absolutely sh- uh, shoot that thing. And like you, know, like you said, Blake, okay, he may not be a star in Detroit. He was definitely uninterested in playing on a losing team. Right. So uh, and, he, and he was dealt with a lot of injuries. So now you come to Brooklyn, he's like, ah, Blake Griffin's washed up. Okay. He's going out there and just he can you can tell he's rejuvenated. He's yeah. got energy. He's just he's just going out there doing his job. Uh, they're asking him to to play uh, some defense and just finish around the rim. Rebound and yeah. then people are, yeah, rebound, finish around the rim. Uh, he's still making good passes and everything. So, you know, Blake Griffin is a really good piece. He's been around the league. He's been in the playoffs. He's just a good solid vet to have on on a team like this. Great skill so, set to know, fit with not, those guys. Exactly to be to be. To, for Blake Griffin to have that type of skill set playing at the five with that team, it's just it's just perfect. Yeah. Yeah. He can't play 40 hard minutes as the number one guy on a team. Okay, but can he play 30 hard minutes as the number four or five option yeah. on a team? Absolutely yeah. he can. Yeah, if, if he can stand under the or stand right by the basket with yeah. all the attention on KD, Kyrie, and James Harden. He can just stand there with his hands out, and they can just drop it off to him. And it'll, and it'll probably score 15, yeah. 17 points a night if you wanted to. Like, yeah. that, that's how crazy this team is. And he can play in transition, and if you want him to, he can bring the ball up the court. He can pat. Like, I, I, I just I didn't understand people being down on the Blake Griffin signing when, when it happened. Um, like, I, that, that was mind-blowing to me. But, yeah, he's a perfect piece for them. Perfect piece. Yeah, uh, perfect piece. Like he's not small enough um, to where like there be, there will be like these just massive mismatches, and he's not uh, so big where it's just going to be like he can only post up. Like he can do right. so many things. Yeah. So he's perfect. Like, and you know they still have DeAndre Jordan on the bench, which yeah. I wish they would play him more. 
because I really feel like he would help them, you know, especially as they go on in the playoffs when they play these bigger teams. Like he w- um, he will when the matchup dictates that he needs to. I, I hope so, man, because I really feel like DeAndre gives them a lot of good minutes when he actually plays. Yeah. Like, I, I think the last time that he played, um, I remember watching him play against Philly, and he actually was doing good on on Embiid uh, for a while. And I, and I think when they play Milwaukee, uh, they'll have him guard Giannis sometimes. So, yeah, um, so, yeah they still have him just they, – they still have DeAndre Jordan on the bench where they can go to. They still have uh, so much firepower. Like, Bruce Brown goes in there, gives them good minutes, sham it. Like, I watched him score 30. Like, he's capable of doing that. Like, a lot of guys on this team can go. But uh, those top three guys, man, it's just hard to yeah. find, like, a lot of time with the, with those three guys out there. We may see him some against Milwaukee. But, like, you know, Brooke Lopez plays on the perimeter almost exclusively in that Milwaukee offense. Giannis is always at the top of the key. And, you know, I, I don't even think you need DeAndre Jordan on Giannis. Um I, I don't know how much we'll see him in that series. And then, you know, I think we'll see him some in, in the Philadelphia series. But, like, if if I were the Nets, the game plan is keep him as fresh as possible because if you meet the Lakers in the finals, you're going to need a lot of DeAndre yeah. Jordan minutes. So that would absolutely. be the goal for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because the Lakers, they're going to be – they're going to play big for a majority of the game until, like, the late stage of the fourth quarter. So right. they're going to need DeAndre because they're they're going to come at you with Drummond, with Gasol, with Montrez, with AD. So they're going to – they're definitely going to need DeAndre from that perspective. But, uh, yeah, you know, I guess they'll need him some in uh, with Philadelphia because they're always going to have that big. And then Milwaukee, it seems like they're, they're moving more towards the small ball lineup since they added P.J. Tucker. So I guess they probably wouldn't need him as much. Right. But um, – I just want to see DeAndre out there a little bit more because I feel like they, that he gives them good minutes. But I guess with the D'Antoni system, you need a, you need more of a guy like a Blake Griffin because uh, of his skill set. But, I mean, yeah. it's a good problem to have when you have DeAndre Jordan sitting on the bench. Absolutely. I, I mean, the Lakers last year, you know, I, I think we saw how much the size meant in specific situations and – you don't, you don't necessarily have to use it every single night. Like, the NBA is not built to use it every single night. You use it when you have to, and I think it's a luxury to be able to save his legs for the time that you're really going to need him against, you know, the the waves of bigs that uh, the Lakers are going to bring. So, um, pretty good. I, I, I like what Brooklyn's doing, actually, and I, I think we see a lot of Blake Griffin throughout the playoffs. And, look, we'll see him a lot in the finals, but we'll just see, you know, the, the staggered lineups with DeAndre Jordan playing a much bigger role, I think, when they face a team like that, so. Yeah, you know, um, I wonder how, I wonder how the series with Milwaukee will look. Uh, I wonder if we see some of KD on Giannis, or you know, because when I when I look at Milwaukee when they when they're playing Miami, I just feel like the difference from this year to last year is the defense. Like they have Drew, they have PJ now, and like Jimmy Butler's not going up against. DiVincenzo and Chris Middleton uh, exclusively like yeah. they're throwing they're throwing Drew at him sometimes they're throwing PJ at him sometimes and when you th- when you look at the matchups that there could potentially be you have you, you can put Drew on James Harden you can put PJ on KD you can put um, Middleton or Giannis or somebody on on Kyrie or something like that like so you have like good matchups but I just wonder if they're going to be able to really uh, stop them over a course of a, of a seven game series yeah I think if anybody has the has the defense to do it, it's Milwaukee. I agree. 
I, like I said, that's the series I most want to see in these playoffs just because of everything you mentioned. I don't think Milwaukee's going to beat them, but I think that we will see some interesting games. We'll see some interesting matchups. I think there are interesting chess pieces as far as the maneuvers both teams can kind of use against each other. So uh, that one will be a lot of fun. Um, I, I'm really excited about that one. But, yeah, I think uh, Brooklyn, I mean, unless there's an injury, I will be surprised and I think it'll be a massive disappointment if they don't win at all. Like, there's just too much firepower. Yeah, as they go go on into, into this playoffs under this system, as they get all these guys incorporated into it, I just think it's all just going to flow and we're going to see uh, Brooklyn get to it. So, I'm with you, man. Brooklyn, it's going to be hard to stop those guys. All right, Will, no fight card this weekend, but we will be back next week with uh, picks for the uh, Rosenstrike Sakai main event, UFC Vegas 28. What a big fight that is, man. Championship implications. Literally Ooh. big fight. <laughs> Heavyweights. Yeah, heavyweight matchup. You know, Both these guys are fun, are, uh, fun fighters. Hopefully Rosenstrike doesn't go out there and uh, fight like he did against Cyril Gan. Hopefully he goes out there and actually engages and uh, Sakai, uh, he fought over him his last fight, but uh, hopefully he goes out there and uh, we see a good fight. All right, brother. Enjoy your weekend, and we will catch up next week. All right, my brother. Have a good one. Thank you to Will Brewer for joining me every Thursday on the Colby Daniels Podcast. We are presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and Delta 8. If you're looking for something to help with pain, anxiety, or just an opioid alternative, Artisan Botanicals has what you're looking for, and we're saving you 15% when you order online. abotanicalcompany.com, that's abotanicalcompany.com, discount code COLBYSHOW at checkout for 15% off your online order, Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Everybody have a great day, stay safe, and I will see you tomorrow. Podcast is over.